Hey, good morning, Grace Community Fellowship. What an exciting day for you to be here in church with us. Today, I want to introduce our speaker this morning, which is Ricky Poon. Ricky and I have been friends for years, and Ricky is the retired pastor of the Eugene Chinese Christian Church. What's so significant about Ricky being here today is that 40 years ago, this church was started by Grace Community Fellowship and other people. So Grace had an important role in starting the uh, Chinese church here in Eugene Springfield. They're celebrating their 40th uh, church anniversary this August, and I'm glad Ricky is here to tell us about his ministry, about their church, and about the ways that they are impacting our community and even our world. What is so significant is that our churches have had some partnerships over the years, and it's just thrilling for me to have him here today in church. So I'm going to pray and ask God to just bless our time together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for Ricky and his ministry among us and in our community. Just pray today that as he brings a message from Scripture, that you would use those words to transform our hearts. And we pray today that our attitude and our actions would be in alignment with your Scripture and that we would be inspired. And we pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Uh, hello, I'm Pastor Ricky, and it is so good to be with uh, you all. Um, you know, when our daughter, Joanna, uh, was pregnant with our first grandchild, you know, it was first diagnosed as a ectopic pregnancy. Uh, what that means is that the fertilized egg implants and grows outside the main cavity of the uterus. So if that fetus is allowed to, to grow, it could cause bleeding and also even death to the mother. So you can imagine for a young couple expecting their first child and being Christians, how gut-wrenching of an experience that could be. Fortunately, they were uh, connected to a husband and wife team in Portland, Oregon, OHSU, who specialized in that area. And certainly, the doctors helped, but for reasons unknown to us, other than that there were a lot of prayers being said at the time, the fetus righted itself and our granddaughter was born normally. So when she was born, our son-in-law, Doug, said to me, there can only be one name for that baby girl. And guess what? That name was Grace. <laughs> so Grace is now a healthy seven-year-old girl, the oldest of our four grandchildren. So when Pastor Steve Hill invited me to speak at your church on the Great Commission, the immediate thought that came to me was the Great Commission as a witness of God's grace. You know, indeed, in paraphrasing Christopher Wright, he said, our missional calling flows from the grace of God in our lives and in His plans for us and for the world in the future. So grace is the unmerited favor of God, and I am a witness 
of God's grace made possible by many, many faithful servants who carried out the Great Commission. So I have selected as the sermon text this morning, the Great Commission passage from Luke Acts, since its focus is on being witnesses. So my sharing will be in three parts. First, the witness of the scriptures. Second, the witness of a sinner saved by grace. And third, the witness of a minister of the gospel. So let us begin by reading Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49, and then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high and from acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for you blessing us with your grace. Be with us as we share your wonderful word. May your word be our guide, be our strength, as we continue to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, witness of the scriptures. You know, Luke-Acts is a two-volume work written by Dr. Luke. In Luke-Acts version of the Great Commission, Jesus emphasized the importance and the totality of the scriptures. First, the fulfillment of all that was written about him. These are my words that I spoke to you while I still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And secondly, the central message of the scriptures is the gospel. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Hudson Taylor, uh, the missionary to China, had said, the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Now, he was certainly correct, but instead of treating the Great Commission as some isolated command, it is helpful for us to see it in the context of the entire biblical narrative. Again, Christopher Wright uh, wrote in his book, The Mission of God, 
Mission as a dimension of our obedience also flows from grace, the grace of the redemption accomplished and the grace of God's future purposes. Remember what God has said before he gave the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue to Moses and his people? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So even in the Old Testament, my brothers and sisters, God's grace came before the law and the command to obey. It is a reality of who God is and our relationship with Him. And at the Last Supper, the Apostle John wrote, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And then Jesus proceeded to demonstrate that love by washing the disciples' feet as the humble servant and then was crucified on the cross as the suffering servant for our sins. So as a response to the love of Jesus, we are to love God with all our being and to love our neighbors as ourselves. This great commandment to love sacrificially undergirds the Great Commission, for we cannot make disciples of the nations without first loving God and loving people. There's a saying, Ministry, ministry flows from being. Who we are comes before what we know and what we do. God's priority is character, not productivity. You know, if we see the commission, Great Commission as simply something that we do, then we have missed the whole point. It begins with who we are in Christ, how we are loved by Him, and how we are to imitate Him. The book of Acts begins this way. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up, after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. So the scriptures serve as witness that the mission of Jesus Christ in Luke's gospel now becomes the mission of the people of God in Acts, yours and mine mission. And when we carry out that mission, we bear witness to God's grace. Secondly, witness as a sinner saved by grace. You know, James Hudson Taylor was a mere 21 year old when he set sail from Yorkshire, England to Shanghai, China. And it was the first of his 11 trips to China between 1854 and 1905. While in China, he founded the China Inland Mission. 
And we all know, and most of us know, Hudson Taylor's most famous saying is probably this, if I had a thousand pounds, China should have it. If I had a thousand lives, China should have them. No, not China, but Christ. Can we do too much for him? Can we do enough for such a precious Savior? Now let me trace for you the twin tracks, the two tracks of my salvation history. Track number one. From Shanghai, Hudson Taylor went inland to Kaifeng in Honan province and established a Bible school there. His grandson, Hudson Taylor II, took over the Kaifeng Bible School in 1920. And when the Sino-Japanese War broke out, Hudson Taylor II moved westward to Shanxi province. That's where the ancient capital of Xi'an is, where you see all the terracotta soldiers. So that was in 1940. With the cooperation of the China Inland Mission, a Northwest Bible Institute was established in the same year, 1940, in Fengxiang, Shanxi province. And after the communists took over mainland China in 1949, uh, most of the missionaries were expelled. And the American missionaries, by and large, returned to the United States. And one of them, one of these American missionaries, was a lady by the name of Mary Geneva Sayer. And guess where she's from? And I didn't know this until I researched into it. Mary Geneva Sayer was from Island City, Oregon. Do you know where Island City, Oregon is? If you know where La Grande is and you go, it's in the northeast part of Oregon near the Grand Ronde uh, River. So in 1921, Geneva Sayer set sail from San Francisco to Shanghai, and then she went to the same Kaifeng in Honan province. That was in 1921. You know, after she was expelled, she had always wanted to go back to China, but China was closed, so she went to Kaohsiung, today the second largest city in southern Taiwan. And that was in 1951. When she was in Kaohsiung, she saw a property near the Little Love River there by the train station and had a vision, you know, to, you know, use it for God's purpose. So she went back to the United States and pleaded with the Free Methodist Mission Board to buy that property. The board agreed and officially sent her back to Taiwan in 1952. So the land was purchased to start the Free Methodist Mission work on the island in 1953 in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Hudson Taylor II and his wife came to join that work in Taiwan. And they might have become acquainted with Geneva Sayer in 
Typhoon, China. And the property today, my brothers and sisters, is the location of the Holy Light Theological Seminary. Hudson Taylor II became the seminary's first president in 1955. And in 1960, his son, Hudson Taylor III, <laughs> took over as president. And it was during Hudson Taylor III's tenure that two ex-naval Chinese officers graduated from Holy Light and came to Portland, Oregon to do graduate studies at the Western Evangelical Seminary in Milwaukee, Oregon, perhaps because of Geneva Sayers' connection with the Pacific Northwest. The two Chinese pastors, Pastor Brian Lee and Pastor John Tian, served at the Portland Chinese Evangelical Church in the 1970s, the first Mandarin Chinese-speaking church in all of Portland. So keep in mind that church, keep in mind Portland, I, as I share track two of my salvation story. I was born in Guangzhou or Canton in southern China shortly after World War II. Guangzhou fell to the communists in 1949. My father, who was an officer in the Nationalist Army, left China for Macau. And after the Korean War, my mother took my brother and me to Hong Kong to be reunited with my father. My two younger sisters were born in Hong Kong. And while in Hong Kong, I had my first exposure to the gospel to Christianity. I attended a grade school sponsored by the Hong Kong Anglican, Anglican Church. My father, for reasons unknown to me at the time, gave me a paperback Chinese and English Baptist hymnal so that I could learn to play the harmonica like he did. And in 1959, many years ago, my family immigrated to Seattle as refugees. Shortly after arriving in Seattle, my mother learned that my father had taken a second wife, who was then living in Canada, also with four children. And that disclosure had a devastating effect on the whole family. For the sake of the children, my parents stayed together uh, but I did not experience anything close to a normal family life. I hated, I hated my father for what he did. And my way of dealing with this deep hurt was to prove to myself that I can succeed on my own despite having to grow up in a very dysfunctional family. My parents had to work tough jobs and I didn't want to live that kind of life. I did well in school. I thought I was a kind and caring person and a good model for all my siblings. But inside of me, you know, it was that self 
gratification and pride that came with the belief that somehow, somehow, I was so much better than my father. So I left Seattle after college and uh, went to work in Portland, Oregon. A fellow engineer, this is the truth, not a relative, a fellow engineer named Bob Poon <laughs> invited me to a Mandarin Chinese-speaking church in Portland. Bob was also from Hong Kong, so you know we both spoke Cantonese, but his wife was from Taiwan. And I agreed to go with Bob to that church only because at that time I was in introduced to my future wife, uh, my future wife Irene, who was living in Taiwan at the time, and I, th I wanted to improve my Chinese in order to impress her. But that church happened to be the Chinese Evangelical Church of Portland. And I felt the love of the Christians there at that church. And I still remember, even when I, maybe another person, cannot understand Mandarin Chinese, they would provide translation or interpretation for us. And that's where I met Pastor Brian Lee and Pastor John Tian from Taiwan, Kaohsiung, who eventually led Irene and I to the Lord Jesus. And real spiritual healing came when the Holy Spirit spoke to me one night through God's Word as I was reading my English Bible, New American Standard Version, <laughs> from Isaiah 53. But I'm reading the ESV version. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And then I understood the pain that Jesus had endured so that I may be saved as a sinner. I knelt down at my bedside, admitted that I was a sinner, asked for forgiveness, and accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior right there and then. And I experienced true forgiveness for the first time in my life. And because of that, I was able to finally, finally forgive my father. And as a postscript, uh, the day my father, before, the day before my father died, he admitted from his hospital bed and there was in Portland, uh, his guilt openly for the first time and asked for the children's forgiveness. And it was then that my father revealed to me that he was actually baptized in Okinawa during the Korean War when he served as an interpreter for the American military. And that was the reason he had that paperback Baptist Chinese English hymnal. So it was a shock to me, you know, after having known him as a devout, very devout Buddhist for 20 years, 
So that day I stay with him at bedside. I read passages from the Gospels and from the Psalms to him and then led him, led him in a prayer of repentance and reaffirmation of his faith in Christ. You know, the next morning he was gone. And that was June 20th, 2003, but it seemed like just yesterday. So dear brothers and sisters, I can say here before you with 100% certainty that Hudson Taylor's love of Christ and the Chinese people led to my salvation. And now witness as a minister of the gospel. You know, there are many things I love about performing weddings, but one of the most precious is I, you know, when I get to put next to my name the title of a minister of the gospel. And will they all believers can and should lay claim to that title? A minister, a servant of the gospel. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. You know, God has a great sense of humor. My first ministry in church was to serve <laughs> as a Chinese to, to English interpreter for my pastors on Sundays. That was the surefire way for me to improve my Chinese, which I am still trying to do today. And Irene and I eventually served in many capacities in our church. I continued to work as an engineer for 30 years, and my last duty station was in Eugene, Oregon. And in 2006, I took early retirement, attended Monoma Biblical Seminary in Portland, served as pastoral intern and then as pastor of the Eugene Chinese Christian Church. And you know, from my salvation experience, you can understand my interest in history. And it was when I was pastoring the Chinese church in Eugene that I learned of our connection with Grace Community Fellowship. You at Grace are one of those important tributaries that flowed, that flowed into that river of life that God has prepared for me before the foundation of the earth. And in 2016, a few years back, I retired again from being pastor to devote more time to the Chinese ministry of In-State Bible College, or In-State Global, it's called now, In-State Global Bible College, or In-State for short. Uh, 
Now, it was founded in 1982 as a mission project of Open Bible Churches, and our mission is to make disciples and to develop leaders to fulfill the Great Commission all over the world. So our method of training, educating, is based on what was called Theological Education by Extension, or TEE for short. Now, TEE was first made popular in Latin America in the 1960s and 1970s. So students, they study where they live. You know, today with an online or on-site study group, small group, we have a certified group leader that facilitates the weekly gatherings, meetings. And the goal is that the students will not only learn concepts, but also put these concepts into practice so that the Word of God becomes incarnate in their lifestyle. So we call it an in-state being, knowing, and doing. So today we have over 8,000 students worldwide and operating in 40 countries and 15 languages. So the Chinese church, the church of the Chinese-speaking world, has continued to grow under a wide range of socio-economic, political, and religious conditions. There is a shortage of trained mission leaders, and based on discussions with Chinese pastors, there's a great need for theological training that has depth and gives priority to the development of Christ-like character. So we thought, or I thought, in-state methodology is well suited to train Chinese disciples and Chinese church leaders. So even though being the pastor of the Chinese church for 10 years was a great blessing to, to me and Irene, I, I sensed an urgent need to accelerate the translation efforts. So, so over, the, over the last few years, my main task was to supervise the translation of the 28 courses of the in-state curriculum into Chinese and establish study groups in uh, of Chinese students in churches overseas and in the U.S. So now, thank God, we have 18 of those 28 books translated with two more in progress, which leaves eight remaining. You know, each book takes about six months to translate, proofread, edit, and it costs, each book costs about $5,000 U.S. to complete the work. But as the Lord would have it, Guess where the first graduating class in Chinese was? It was in Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Because when I had a chance to go back to China, that was the first place God said, you ought to go. Kaohsiung in southern Taiwan. And in December, Lord willing, with the coronavirus situation in December, I'm planning to go to Taiwan again for a graduation ceremony there near Taipei, the capital, and also to begin pilot testing of the level two of diploma program. 
And even now, as I speak to you, we have students, you know, in an area that borders the Muslim world, I could tell you that much. And we have students in an area that borders the Buddhist world. Uh, so our prayer is that someday these students will take up the missionary, the Great Commission, Bataan. So witness of the scriptures, witness of a sinner saved, and witness of a minister of the gospel. And to conclude, and the first is we read at the beginning of my sermon are uh, what I call the unifying verses of Luke and Acts. Because they both use witnesses for God's people. And they have a similar scope. All nations in Luke and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth in Acts. And both exhorted the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit until they receive power. But you know what? More than that, to me, why Luke Acts is so precious? I mean, all of the Great Commission passages are, are, you know, are fine, but in Luke Acts, I find something that's profoundly personal or communal in this setting in the Gospel of Luke the resurrected Christ our resurrected Lord and Savior was having a meal of broiled fish a meal of broiled fish with his disciples I call it the first supper okay the first supper and christopher wright to use his words he said behind the great commandment and the great commission is the great communication but i would rather say the great communion behind the great commission and the great commandment is the great communion for Christ is present with us. And I will conclude my sharing today with a personal, more recent testimony. Bill and Ruth Fritch, who once lived in Eugene, generously supported the Chinese translation work at its inception. Bill was an instructor at the Eugene Bible College, which now is called New Hope Christian College. And they are retired now and living in Nashville, Tennessee. There was no reason for Ricky to go to Nashville at all. No, I mean, even though I like Elvis Presley music and all that. <laughs> but as the Lord would have it, that was where I had my first residency for my doctoral program near Nashville, Tennessee. And so I went there and Bill and Ruth invited me to a dinner at a very nice Italian restaurant. 
I asked Bill, I said, Bill, why, why are you interested in the Chinese translation? That's when I learned that his great aunt, great aunt, was one of the very early Pentecostal missionaries to China. Her name was Cora Fritsch. Twenty members of her congregation left, left Spokane, Washington for Seattle and sailed towards Japan and then Hong Kong in September 1907, 14 years before Geneva Sayer sailed from Seattle to Shanghai, 14 years before. And they became the first missionaries to leave the Pacific coast for Asia. And Cora, assuming that she will never see her family again because they were expecting Christ to really return in a matter of days or weeks or months. And they expected to be reunited with their families in heaven. So Cora wrote home to to his, you know, her father, you know, he said, Oh, dear ones, live closely to Jesus, and some happy day I can see you all again. Oh, dear Papa, meet your Cora in heaven. That is my dearest wish and prayer. Cora later died in China at the age of 24. And she was buried in Happy Valley Cemetery in Hong Kong, the city where I spent my childhood. And Cora and her fellow missionaries, their ship sailed from Puget Sound in Seattle, where I immigrated with my family as a young teenager, Hong Kong, and Seattle. And I really hope to visit Cora's tomb uh, in Hong Kong someday. I know where that location is. You know, that was another confirmation the Lord has given me that my missional calling flows from His grace. So whatever difficulties we face are minor compared to those of many brothers and sisters around the world. You know, Hudson Taylor's oldest daughter, I'm told, was named Grace. Because as I shared before at the beginning, the name of our oldest granddaughter is also Grace. So it is entirely appropriate that today I am before you speaking to you, to a congregation whose name is Grace, whose name is Grace. So you and I, my brothers and sisters, are the visible, are the visible grace of God. And I will leave you with these words of Hudson Taylor, which I hope will be encouragement to you, you know, as you consider 
the relationship for you between the Great Commission and God's grace and as his witnesses. Hudson Taylor said, all our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of his grace, power, and love. All of his power, grace, and love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful congregation. Pray for your blessing and your strength and wisdom upon Pastor Steve and the leadership and all of the dear brothers and sisters at Grace Community Fellowship. It's through the visions of their early leaders that the Chinese church came to being. I cannot think of many, many more wonderful, marvelous witness than that. So from my heart, I give you all the thanks, all the glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.